Hello, I'm Stuart Chittenden, and this is Lives, a show about conversation, community, and the people that bring community to life. My guest today is Susan Henricks, the president and CEO of ICANN, the Institute for Career Advancement Needs. Susan Henricks joined ICANN, the Institute for Career Advancement Needs, as president and CEO in 2014, prior to which Susan's decades-long professional career included strategic leadership roles in both private and public companies. ICANN is a non-profit leader development organization dedicated to engaging, educating, and inspiring business leaders to make their best contributions to their organizations and communities. She is a current member of the Arbor Day Foundation Board of Trustees. Susan holds a BA from Northwestern University and received her MBA from the Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern University. Susan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Stuart. You are president and CEO of ICANN. Could you tell us what ICANN is? Absolutely. ICANN was founded about 37 years ago by a group of women to help develop leaders in the business community of Omaha. And the mission included women and men. And as the organization has evolved over time, we provide leader development programs for women and men. Sometimes we're best known for the ICANN Women's Leadership Conference, which occurs every spring. And this year we hosted over 3,000 attendees. That's a brand new record for ICANN. And it demonstrates a couple of things, I believe. It, it demonstrates that there is still a need for women in business to come together and share experiences, share learnings, and learn new things about how to be better at what they do in their jobs. And we offer many different types of programs. We offer open enrollment. That basically means anyone from any company in this region can apply to attend a program. And we have programs for men and women. We also do quite a few custom leadership development programs for many of the largest companies here in this region. Um, we do a leadership essentials program, which is for frontline leaders, and we do a manager essentials, which is predominantly for that middle level uh, individual getting ready to move into maybe a more senior job. And then we also do events that are called 777s. And a 777, we bring together seven people from the Omaha community and seven people from the Lincoln community. We do Omaha's event in the fall. We do Lincoln's event in the spring every year. And we have seven very diverse, very different men and women speak about leadership, speak about their organization, and speak about what's been important to them that they want to share with the audience. And that event is about a couple hundred people that, that attend. So in a nutshell, that's ICANN. You mentioned that ICANN is nearly four decades old. 
Before we think about now and the future, what was it at the time that motivated the formation of ICANN? What were the needs in the community that, that made this group of people think, oh, we, we need an organization like ICANN? A, a couple of things, and, and a great question, because if you think about a group of professional women getting together that long ago to create a leadership organization, it's pretty astounding. One of the founders of ICANN is also the founder of Emergenetics. Emergenetics is an assessment tool that helps you understand how you think, how you approach an issue, a question, a problem, or a project. They felt that there was a need to teach people in business to be good leaders and good stewards of the community. Was there some sense that there was a lack of, of leadership? I think they thought that more was needed. Yeah. That especially for women at that time, you know, 37 plus years ago, there were not very many women in leadership positions, as you and I both know. I think that they felt like they could use their contacts in the business community, some of which had been developed through business and some of which, truthfully, had been developed through social and philanthropic activities to say, you need to be doing more of this. Was it always men and women yes, from the outset? Okay. it was. How then has the dynamic of business and leadership in the community changed over the last four decades? You know, I wish I could say that it had changed more than perhaps it has. Um, we continue to have predominantly men at the top end of almost every organization here in Omaha and the Lincoln region. Although some strides are being made, and some companies do have women in one of the C-suite positions, whereas, you know, on the coasts, you're starting to see more women than just one in the C-suite. And I think if we look critically at why that is in this region, I think there are a couple of things. I think, number one, men aren't always very good at opening the doors for women to move ahead, whether unconsciously or consciously. And by the same token, women, and, I, and I'll give you an example from some a research study that was done not by ICANN, but by one of the, the big consulting firms. And basically what it said is if there's an executive level position open within a company and there are five things that are required for that position, you know, to, to apply, a woman will look at those five things and say, oh my gosh, I've done one of those five. I can't, I can't apply because I haven't done all five. In general, a man will look at that same list of five things and say, well, I've done one, maybe two. I can learn the rest. I'm going to apply. That is where the women and men get separated on the path upward 
within large organizations. And so it, it's a two-way street. It's the leadership of the companies and how they embrace diversity at the top, not just male-female, but all diversity. And it's, in this example, the women who need to be confident enough to say, I can do that job and I'm going to go for it and apply for it. There have been some studies out recently, which I find fascinating. Um, so I will date myself, but I started working in 1973 when I graduated from college. And there were no women at any senior level. And I grew up in Chicago. I worked in Chicago for 30 years before moving to Omaha. Chicago's not much better than, than Omaha in terms of the distribution of women at top levels in the C-suite and on corporate boards of directors. There are many women who run nonprofits and many women on nonprofit boards, but it's not the same, as you know, on the corporate side. It's a new frame some of the some of the modern challenges and obstacles that are faced by perhaps millennials trying to rise to leadership positions and perhaps by uh, women who are also trying to realize their potential in the mm -hmm. workforce. The millennial generation, and you've probably read a lot of the same information and the studies that I've read about millennials and that you know, supposedly they don't want to work and, you know, they want to be affiliated with a cause and all of those things. And yes, are there elements of that completely? But my experience with millennials in business is that they're smart, they're hard workers, they want to work, and they want to donate their time and efforts outside of work to one or two causes, if you will, that they truly believe in. The difference, I think, between, so my generation as baby boomers and millennials can be really summed up, in my opinion, by baby boomers lived to work and still live to work. Millennials work to live. I believe that is a big crux of where relationships within companies can go awry if you don't understand that. Millennials grew up, many of them, with baby boomer parents, right, who worked all the time. They don't want to do that. And they want their company to have a heart. 
in other words, to support certain causes, whatever the cause may be. You know, right now there are, well, essentially five generations in the workforce for the very first time ever. So there's the generation older than me, and there are still some people out there working. Then you've got the baby boomers, Gen X, Gen Y, millennials, and now Z coming up. And Z is going to be a completely different workforce as they start entering because they have grown up with everything electronic. I mean, I, I even know when I talk about the office that I worked in in the 1970s, and we had distributed terminals, but they were dumb terminals, and you you couldn't do anything other than whatever program you were working on, to now it's all on your phone or your iPad or your, you know, whatever. And this generation, this Generation Z, I, I believe we're going to just see artificial intelligence and technology just go through the roof. Um, I, I heard an interesting talk the other day by Erica Vellini. She's the global head of the human capital practice at Deloitte. And we're actually having her back as a speaker for the ICANN Women's Leadership Conference. And she talked about, with all these different generations, companies really have to look at what is the work that needs to be done? And is it even the same work that had to be done a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago? Super interesting because as companies have to further automate, I believe instead of just cutting headcount, they need to understand, okay, how do we retrain the people that used to do X to now do Y? and not just riff everybody. And again, that's easier said than done, but it, it's it's a real challenge for millennials, baby boomers, Gen X in the workforce today because of all the change that's happening. Predominantly driven by by technology, but also driven by speed of how you can do a transaction. And also driven by market demands. So we talked a little bit about millennials and, and how they face uh, perhaps certain perceptions, certain obstacles or different contexts in the workplace. But I'm also wondering about uh, women too, how they uh, face modern, or what are the modern uh, contemporary contextual challenges and obstacles that they're facing in the workforce? Women still face many of the same obstacles. And they still face that if you're female and you're driven, that might be construed as you're too bossy. Whereas a man who is driven is doing the right thing. As a female, there still is the misunderstanding of if a female has children, well, the male also has children. And what's happening is men are starting to do more of the, the work, if you will, with the children than ever before. 
although women still carry probably the lion's share, but they're doing more. And some companies are starting to realize that whether you're male or female, if you have a family and if you need to take a child to the doctor, you need time to go do that. You need the flexibility. If you need to go to your child's sports event, you should be able to do that. So what's happening is more flexible hours. You don't necessarily have to be at your desk from 8 to 5. You can work from 8 to 4, go to a game or an event, and then log back on when you get home and finish whatever you maybe needed to do that day. And so I do think that companies are starting to realize that it isn't just for women that certain flexibilities in the workplace need to be considered. I, I still think for women, and again, as I look back to when I started working to now, I really thought it would be different. I really, really thought it would be different. There are some differences, but nothing like what I thought it would be. If you look at the pipeline, and I spoke earlier about women and men, and that there were two primary reasons for maybe not getting ahead. One was the men at the top weren't opening the door for women as readily as men, and the other that sometimes women won't apply for a position when they're more than qualified. But there's a, a whole new theory now that the pipeline for promotion needs to be opened down in the organization sooner, and it needs to be opened more to women and not just to men. So it isn't just getting to the top. It's getting in that pipeline in order to be able to be considered for positions, middle, top, whatever. And I was the CEO of a company in, in Chicago, and I was the president and COO of a company here in, in Omaha. And uh, that was very unusual. I mean, very unusual to have a female in those roles. And, you know, there were times when I'd be in meetings with people who maybe didn't know what my role was, and I would be asked to pour the coffee. And, you know, you're like, what? You want me to pour coffee? You you, you learn how to make a joke and say, oh, I think you can get your, your own coffee and do it in a, a, a nice way. But there still is that perception that if you're a female in the room, you're not perhaps at the same level as the men in the room. So changing the perception of the men that control the big companies is really important. And that is very difficult to figure out how to do. I know here in, in Omaha, we the Women's Fund of Omaha, they have tried, and they used to do it years ago, um, they would do a survey of the companies in Omaha 
to try to understand how many women were in the C-suite, the next level, the next level, the next level, you know, in terms of leadership positions. Well, over, over time, as the whole equity between female, male became a much bigger issue, companies started really pulling back and not reporting, and so therefore not participating. So we really don't have anything that would tell us how Omaha is doing from the standpoint of male, female. But again, you can look at executive leadership by company. You can look at boards online by company, and you see that it's not anywhere near equal. So I don't think ICANN is trying to be a lobbying or an advocacy organization. You're not necessarily lobbying for uh, gender pay parity or, or no. that sort of thing. We are not a lobbying organization. We are completely a leader development organization. And many of the things I've just talked about, our mission is to give women and men the tools to take their careers forward and up. So describe some of those tools. You mentioned some of the programs. Mm -hmm. What are some of the skills and tools that um, you're equipping people Mm -hmm. with to, to help them flourish into their career potential? There are a number of tools that we provide in the various programs that we offer. Emergenetics is one that I mentioned earlier. Emergenetics, again, is a tool that helps you understand, Stuart, if you and I were part of a team, how do you think? How do you approach a business opportunity? How do I think? How do I approach it? Do we approach it from a people perspective, from an analytical perspective, from a structure perspective, from an idea perspective? And then Emergenetics also helps you look at, are you an introvert or an extrovert? Do you, Are you expressive or not? Are, and then what you do is you look at emergenetics, the profiles across a team of people, and you say, wow, do we have a whole brain here, like whole brain thinking? And it's wonderful for team building with a team of anywhere from 10 to 25 people at a time to understand how do you better 
work together to achieve whatever the goals are of your business. Another uh, aspect of our training has to do with emotional intelligence. It is sort of a business buzzword these days, but it's very important because emotional intelligence is not the same as intellectual intelligence. It is completely different. You know, how many times have you worked with someone who is very smart, but way too emotional and can't really accomplish anything because they're too emotional? They get angry all the time, or they start yelling at people, or they call people names, like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. And that, that emotional intelligence can make you very unsuccessful. So we uh, have a tool for assessing one's emotional intelligence, and then we do some one-on-one -on -one coaching to say, how do, how, do, how do I, as the coach, help you, Stuart, improve in whatever area you need improvement in terms of your emotional intelligence? It's a really good tool. It's so spot on that after you take the assessment and you see, you know, the results, generally people go, oh boy, yes, that is exactly what I do. Um, we do a lot of one-on-one -on -one coaching which sometimes it's in relationship to emotional intelligence and sometimes not. Sometimes it's coaching with someone in a leadership role to help them improve in particular, you know, areas of their performance. And then I'll just mention one more. There are many others, but I'll, I'll just mention one more, and that is doing a 360 evaluation. So as you know, what that means is I would send to my boss, my peers, my direct reports, an assessment to fill out on my performance, my behavior, et cetera. All of that information would get combined and put together into a report for me. And then I would work with a coach to say, where are my strengths? And where are the areas where I could be stronger? Then these people go through an ICANN leadership development program for eight weeks, let's say. Now, not solid, but two days a month over that time. Then you do a reassess after to see, okay, did Susan do a better job after getting trained or, or what, what happened? And a lot of these tools, if you're a good leader and you're a good manager of people and work, these tools are invaluable. And in my corporate career before ICANN, I used many of these tools as well. How are the demands of business changing as regards to leaders? And I'm wondering how ICANN is adapting to those changing demands, given your comments about the importance of emotional intelligence, which allude to the very necessary human abilities that we need to be mindful of, but also giving regard to what you were saying earlier about a new generation and a new type of economic environment where artificial intelligence, algorithms, robots, augmented reality, all of these elements are becoming much more part of the norm and 
I'm not here to be a doomsayer, but the need for human abilities mm-hmm. is, is um, again, not to be apocalyptic, but uh, is, is perhaps declining in some ways. So it, it's that's a very long statement, and I'm curious about how ICANN is adapting to some of the larger trends. We have uh, the curriculums for all of our different programs, and I'll, I'll talk about the leader development programs first. And we update those curriculums at least annually, if not more frequently throughout the course of a year, to stay on top of what are the key issues in business relative to leadership that that we need to be addressing. So over the last four or five years, we've we've added in emotional intelligence. We are now in the process of adding in an, another uh, segment of the training, and it's going to be on unconscious bias. Because what businesses are finding is that it may not be overt bias that is projected by people, but it in many cases, is unconscious bias, equally bad in terms of the outcome, but people may or may not even understand that they're that they think that way or that they're you know behaving in a certain way that is inappropriate. And so we're looking at adding that into our program. With the Women's Leadership Conference, and oh, by the way, there are men who come. Uh, we usually have about 100 men, and what they realize is there is no men bashing. It is all about teaching these young women how to be better at their jobs is really the bottom line. Every year we have a different theme, and so this year in 2019, the theme, and you've used the word several times, was ADAPT. It was all about how do you, as a leader in an organization, adapt to new technology, adapt to artificial intelligence, adapt to different generations. And so we had speakers that covered many of, of those different areas where leaders have to be able to adapt. So next year for 2020, our theme is going to be ensemble. It is all about elevating team leadership. Uh, Deloitte has done a study, and it is all about the symphonic C-suite. The C-suite now needs to operate like a symphony, where the score is the strategy, the strategic plan. The conductor is the CEO. The first chairs are the executive leaders. The orchestra are the people in the company. And that the people who report to the CEO need to be working much closer together instead of I'm IT and I'm over here and I'm sales and I'm over here and I'm HR and I'm over here and we all have our silos. And, and you're starting to see a lot of that here, even in this region, where the CEOs are expecting that executive team to work together in a more um, collaborative manner. Then that trickles down through the organization. 
that companies are going to have to get rid of the silos and say, you have to work with so-and-so in another area of the company. That's part of your job. It's expected. Figure it out. Or we'll help you figure it out. (laughs) So that's what the conference will be about um, in 2020. One of our speakers um, has written a book, and it's called Lean Out. So you, of course, have heard of Lean In. This book is the reverse. Why should women have to lean in and do more work and work harder when they should be recognized for the work that they're already doing and doing very well? And so I I think that's going to be pretty interesting for, for people to sort of sort through, lean in, lean out. And this young woman that wrote the book used to work at Facebook. about you. Uh, I'd like to hear about your childhood. Oh, geez. So I grew up in Chicago. Um, Father went to college on the GI Bill. Mother did not go to college. Education was very, very important. I went to Northwestern undergrad in English and education. My generation, and you went to college, you were going to be a nurse or a teacher. So I student taught, absolutely hated it, told my parents I'm going to graduate, but I'm not going to teach. And I have complete respect for people who teach. I just knew that it wasn't right for me. And so I went into an IT program, learned how to be a systems analyst, a programmer, project manager for big insurance company in Chicago. A number of years later, I got my MBA at the Kellogg School, as you mentioned, um, also at Northwestern. And the company paid for it, which was great, and went on to lead several different companies. And So before we get to those companies, given what we've been talking about, going into a field of study that involved anything to do with systems and IT, going into a field of study that involved business, I don't know the statistics, but I would be surprised if I was wrong in saying that these weren't fields that encouraged women into... Not at all, especially not then. Why? Why did you do that? And what was your experience of doing that? You know, it. I knew that being a teacher, that I would not do it justice for the children. And I, I guess somehow I realized I needed to be in business. And 
IT was really just starting then. I mean, I know that sounds ridiculous, but it's not. It was very easy to get accepted into a program like this, especially coming from Northwestern. Um, and it was fantastic. And probably the biggest things that helped me along the way and that women even now need is it isn't just having a mentor. It's great to have a mentor, perfectly wonderful to have a mentor that can help you think through different business problems or whatever, but you really need a sponsor. And that's a very unique relationship. And I had a sponsor early in my career and then kind of mid-career that gave me opportunities that other women didn't get. And I believe it was because they felt that I had the ability to do the jobs and that I had the, you know, at the time, the personality to do the jobs and not be what they thought was, you know, the bossy woman. And I don't come across that way. Now, I can be really tough when I need to be. I have no problem with that. But I found that I didn't have to take that path. So for young women today, back to some of your earlier questions, start out with a mentor. Find a woman or a man above you in the organization that is willing to be your mentor. And just like maybe meet once a month over coffee or at lunch and talk about your career and talk about kind of what's working, what's not, what do you want to do next. But then if you really want to move into more and more senior positions, I believe you have to have a sponsor. And that's how many men moved into big jobs is they had a sponsor that opened that door and pushed them in. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. So to some degree, there is that um, humble but also self-aware blend of knowing you had talent, knowing you had an interest, and being grateful for having a few people in your life that also saw mm -hmm. that there was that rich potential that they were prepared to um, hold up right. and support. And I didn't even understand at the time what the opportunities maybe even could be. Do, do you know what I mean? So they they taught me that as well, that you could do this path or that path or that path. And um, yeah, I mean, they just taught me so much. And it turns out they were both men because there were no women at high levels, you know, in organizations. So describe then a little bit that pathway that you took. I, I know that before ICANN, you had uh, a long and successful professional career leading in private and public business. So maybe just take us quickly on that journey. Sure. In in Chicago, I, I my early career was in IT at insurance company and then uh, a bank and then another insurance company. Then I, I talked to my mentor, my sponsor, and I said, I really want to learn how to run a business. And so he gave me the opportunity um, within 
this this was a marketing services company. Well, I ran IT first, but then I ran sales, marketing, et cetera, you know, all the different functions to learn how to run a business. And then when he retired, I became the CEO. He taught me how to lead a business, how to lead a successful business. Um, we didn't always agree, you know, and he had a very different skill set than I. He could look at a financial report and look at a page and go like to the middle and say, that's not right. I, that's not my skill set. My skill set was to work with the people to get results. Um, then I got recruited to come to Omaha to First Data, and um, I was actually there twice and ran part of the credit card business and then ran the whole credit card business. That was another amazing opportunity. So I was business unit president within huge company. So I didn't run all of First Data and had responsibility for, you know, sales, systems, marketing, you know, et cetera. It was really, really, really hard work. We had incredible people at First Data, just incredible people. It was all about clients. And, you know, some of the clients were $100 million a year client. That's what they paid First Data. So this is not like a client that is spending, you know, $10,000 a year. And they were tough like really tough and demanding. You know, if they're going to pay you $100 million, they better get what they want. I just always learned that you just have to believe you're doing the right thing and then do the right thing and that there's nothing more important than integrity. What have you learned from all of these experiences that you've taken into ICANN? So it's been about, give or take, five years now that you've mm -hmm. led that organization. Mm -hmm. What have you brought from your own talent and experiences in, into that organization as you lead that? When, when I came into ICANN, um, my predecessor was taking it uh, in the direction of meditation and yoga, all of which were huge hot 
topics five, six years ago. But the business community didn't want to pay to send people to learn about that. And so the advice I got from several of the large companies who have board members on the ICANN board said to me, take it back to business. That's why we hired you. We want a business focus. And and that's what we did. And so um, taking it back to business meant eliminating some of those uh, to use a Gallup term, woo things, and bringing it back to business. So at the conference, for example, when we have over 3,000 people there, there might be a little fun here and there, a little humor, but at bottom line, it's all about business. And I think that's why it's grown to 3,000. What have you learned about yourself from traveling this journey from Chicago through a vast array of leadership roles, but also living a life with um, friends and family and, and now leading this organization that in some ways is dedicated to enhancing the potential of other people. So as you have traversed that journey and look forward to continuing it, what, what have you learned about yourself and who you are? I would say I've learned that I'm capable, that I'm a good leader and I can work with people to achieve results and that the most important thing to me is I always act with integrity. Do you have some advice for anybody listening? So so I guess this is for perhaps people maybe that are either thinking about making a change or are perhaps earlier in their career than later. Do you have any thoughts and reflections for them? I I always recommend to to people if I'm coaching or or mentoring or sponsoring someone that they try to figure out what they want to do and what are they really good at and that they, and I know I'm repeating this again, that they always act with integrity. I have seen so much bad behavior in business that I joke with some of my friends that I'm going to write a book someday about bad behavior in business. I've seen such bad behavior and I've seen such greed and I've seen people who become, you know, quote, the master of the universe. And having learned from all of that and lived through all of that and lived through a CEO that when as a business unit president, you stand up to give your report, male or female, and you just get told that you are the most stupid person they've ever seen in their entire life with F-bombs in there. And you've lived through all of that. And you just are like, hmm. The advice I give to young people is don't be like that. Even if that's the behavior that you see, don't be like that. Well, I would just say, be like you. Well, thank you, but. Stop!
that's all I can be. I've been in conversation today with Susan Henricks, the president and CEO of ICANN, the Institute for Career Advancement Needs. Susan, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for inviting me. It's great to see you. I dye my hair and it's not just vanity. I've been looking your validation. And that's it. <laughs> <laughs> That's the end of this week's show. Our sound engineers are Mark McGaw and Dalimar McTizik. I'm your host and producer, Stuart Chittenden. Live's radio show is an executive production of Squish Talks. Find links to podcasts of this and previous shows via our Instagram and Facebook profiles at Live's Radio Show. Join me next week for more conversation, community, and the people that bring community to life. <laughs>